¿Qué tal amigos? Welcome to Hello Latino. I'm Odalis Jasmine. I'm so excited to welcome Ish Verdusco. In this episode, he's about to show us how successful people get ish done. But first, he talks about his childhood as a Mexican-American kid moving around L.A. to DJing his way through college to his unconventional journey into working for some of the best tech companies. He recently launched a book called How Successful People Get Ish Done, which is available on Amazon or Kindle. But listen, my favorite part, he said whether you're a 15-year-old kid from South Central L.A. or a professional deep in your career, this book will help you achieve your goals. So shout out to Ish for keeping it real and representing La Cultura. All right, well, Ish, welcome. I'm so excited to have you because let me just tell you, I've been following you for a while. And you are literally my inspiration. I'm like, oh my God, I need to post more on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm like, you know, it's so funny. I think you might've posted this, but I really over, I love writing. And it's like one of like the things that just brings me so much joy, but I really struggle with posting because I'm like overthinking it all the time. And I think you yeah. might've posted this a while ago when I first started following you, like just post, like just post content. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, exactly. inspiring me. Overthinking, you know? Like I, I have so many grammar mess ups and like things that I wish I would have re, re like reformed when I when I wrote like wrote I don't know paragraphs or like blog posts and stuff. But just got to get it out there, and then over time you get better. You know, you like anything else. Just- yeah, yeah. And also, I wanna I wanna hype you up and gas you up a little more. But <laughs> but no, one thing. The other reason why you inspire me so much is because you're the probably like one of the first people that have that I've seen on LinkedIn that really, you're really authentic, like in all of the things that you do. And one thing that drew me to you was you had on your headline on, on LinkedIn that said Latino DJ. And I was like, Oh, that's so lit. Like he like leads with that. <laughs> yeah. And then I also saw you're from, you're from San Diego or are you from SoCal somewhere? I'm from LA. So I was born and raised throughout like uh, Southern California. So born in LA and then lived all throughout the Inland Empire and down here. So yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, yeah. I mean, again, there's so many reasons you inspire me and we've never even met, but, <laughs> but yeah. I'm excited for the conversation. So thank you so much for having me. And for the listeners out there, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm gonna keep it real. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna share as much as I can about myself and like like you said, just be personable throughout the throughout this talk. Yeah, of course. So let's start with my favorite question and um go with how do you identify and explain to us why. Uh, well, I identify as a Latino, so uh, Mexican-American. My family's from Mexico. I was born in Los Angeles, raised all throughout Southern California. So I don't know. I identify as like somebody that's always repping the culture, always looking out for um, people from underrepresented groups. Um, you know, like somebody who comes from, I wouldn't say nothing, but comes from more of a struggle than I would say more privileged people that, I, that I've been happy had the chance to work with in tech, you know? Um, but yeah, kind of who mm-hmm. I am, I guess. Can we dive into, you said, um, not as privileged. Yeah. So let's dive into your story, your background. And yeah, I want to hear more about, about ish. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So I was, like I said, I was born in Los Angeles. Uh, by the time I was in high school, by the time I hit high school, I had moved 11 different times. Um, so yeah. 
to hit like a ton of different schools. You know, I was in different houses, apartments, staying with different family members. My parents had me at a pretty young age. So my mom had me at 19 and she just always just wanted better for her kids. Mm-hmm. Like we were kind of in like a bad area of LA. She, she saw how like things were looking for other people that were out there in the streets and that had grown up there. So she just always wanted to like more for us and better for us. So we moved outward and outward and outward, like further from LA. Um, and like living in Pomona, but went to a really good school in Claremont, kind of like lied on my, uh, on my application to go to school there, went mm-hmm. to high school in Ranch Cucamonga, pretty good, pretty good school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, just made our way, made our way up and then eventually got to college. And I give my mom a ton of credit for like pushing me and always like, even though we didn't have much like financially, like growing up, um, I would say for like the first 10 years of my life or first 13 years of my life, um, like she always instilled hard work, you know, and, and even though we didn't have fancy things, nice big house, we always had like community, family, and that would definitely ingrained in, in me. So that's kind of like mm-hmm. a good overview of my upbringing. Um, I also had like some pretty tough things that had happened um, early on in my life. So when I was 12, my dad passed away. Um, and then shortly after that, my uncle passed away, his older brother. And then shortly after mm-hmm. that, uh, my grandpa passed away. So their, their dad and Thank you for that. And and I, I like to include oh, that in my sorry. story because um, anybody who's like ever gone through really tough hardship like that stacked on top of like other things that, that you experience as an underrepresented minority or even just somebody who doesn't really grow up with much. It just, it, it becomes mm-hmm. really difficult, you know, and, and I want to like tell people that, Hey, because we go through these really difficult things in life, they do really make you stronger and they, give you more perspective and make you more grateful. So I like to share that in my story whenever I get a chance to speak so that people get a more holistic view of like, I didn't just live this really easy life and like land into these dream jobs in tech and uh, drive a cool car and like make it, you know, I had my fair share of struggle and and I think struggles are what make us who we are, you know, give us character. Yeah. So talking about that, how did, you know, those, those people and, and them passing away, how did it affect you personally? Me personally? So I, uh, I think I grew up a lot quicker. I think by the time I was like 13, mm-hmm. 15, I had the mentality of like, I don't know, like 19 or 20 year old. It made me mm-hmm. appreciate life a lot more. And that's probably one of those cheesy things that a lot of people say in interviews. But when you experience <laughs> death so closely, it really does make you yeah. realize like, oh, shit. We could die any day. Like tomorrow is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I sh- and because that like losing my dad primarily that that instilled in me from a young age like I should do and go after whatever it is that I want to do and whatever I'm passionate about because there's no guarantee that I'm going to be here next year. Mm-hmm. And kind of uh, I think of it as a strength. A lot of people think of it as like that, that's kind of messed like messed up thinking like to always have that in the back of your mind. But it's worked out for me so far, you know, like I've been able to achieve and do a lot of really cool things that I find a lot of passion in and that help people along the way. Um, so yeah. that's probably like one thing. And then the other thing, like losing people so early on, it makes you listen to other, like your elders. So like I listen to my grandma, mm-hmm. my grandma's a ton and like all of those words of wisdoms. Like I think when you're a kid, it kind of goes in one ear and then goes out the other. But yeah. when I like experienced those losses, I was like, like literally writing this stuff down in my head and like re-preaching it over and over and over things like work hard things like go to school like things like treat people with respect like those those little simple things you know and they instilled into who i am today 
And those are things you probably carry into your work and your life and your relationships. Like it affects different aspects of your life, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Every single aspect, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I want to dive deep into like, into your family and, and your story and like kind of the beginning of, of your childhood. So was your, talk about, is it your mom's immigration story, your grandparents, yours? So talk a little bit about like yeah. there, right? So the immigration story to where you are now. Yep. It's, it's, uh, my grand, both grandmas from each side of the, of the, my dad's and my mom's side are the ones that came over from Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. I have aunts and uncles on both sides of the family that were born in Mexico. So my, my parents, both my parents were the ones who just happened to like barely make it over the line. Um, I think my mom mm-hmm. was actually pregnant with my mom when she came over or like a year after oh, okay. she just barely made it over from all the siblings. Um, but like learning that story when I was younger, like how my grandma literally like, I think my grandma from my mom's side hired like two coyotes. The first one didn't, uh, didn't work out and basically like robbed them, robbed her. And like, mm-hmm. And the second one ended up working out. I think my other grandma had to like smuggle into a car and like go across a river, like some crazy story as well. Carrying like yeah, it's very common. Yeah, it's like it's like crazy. And then you put it into perspective, like one of the stuff that we go through on a daily basis, and it just makes you so much more grateful, you know. Oh, totally, totally. And for anyone listening, a coyote, coyote. Um, do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, it's basically somebody who, like in Mexico or other parts of the the world you pay them to uh to smuggle you in to like america or wherever it is you're trying to smuggle in so you pay them like whatever it is if it's a couple grand or a couple hundred bucks they either bring you in through a tunnel or through a car or through a truck or through a river or through a boat um mm-hmm. yeah that's, that's pretty much what it is yeah and i actually had some it's so funny because you don't know this as a kid but i i had some family members who work this. And I never, like, I would hear some stories and I'd be like, oh yeah, they're just bringing people over. Like, I, you know, like you're a kid. So you're just like, oh yeah, (laughs) they're just bringing our cousins or like our friends over. But again, you don't think of it holistically until like you get older. You're like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, I get it. Um, But yeah, that's a very common thing. And sometimes what going to what, going back to what you said, a lot of things that happen with coyotes is sometimes they do screw you over and they do you and they do you know mess up things to just get your money yeah, because yeah. people who come over they, they just want to come over right yeah, not that they're desperate but they're doing anything to get over exactly they're super vulnerable they like save money for months or years like just to give this person a couple grand that's like their life saving and there's really like mm-hmm. no no accountability they could pretty much leave if they want to unless you find a good coyote that's like a man of their word or a person of their word, then they, they follow through. So luckily they both worked out. Yeah. With grandparents. <laughs> oh, good, good. And it's, and it's crazy. I want to touch on something else because I think this is important for people to know who are listening. There's so many different ways that people come to this country, depending where you're from, right? Like mm-hmm. either you come by boat or you come by bus or you come by, you know, smuggling, you know, coyote coming over. Um, one thing that, I've learned through just listening to my elders, kind of like what you said, but even like hearing my dad's story and my uncle's story, they came on, I don't know if you've heard of La Tren de la Bestia. Mm -hmm. Have you heard what that is? So it's a, it's a train that runs from, where does it run from? I think it's Guatemala and it runs to Chiapas, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And basically a bunch of Central Americans come on that bus or that train, sorry. And they have to like, sneak into the train because the train stops every now and then. And there's people, there's, you know, la policia, people come in and they check who's there. So 
a lot of these, these kids and families, they're sleeping in like these like big crowds inside of these little trains, um, or they're on top of the train and they sleep there. And so there's a lot of deaths that happen (laughs) and a lot of police that take advantage of the people. Again, like you were saying, vulnerable, right? Like they're, they have all this money that they saved up. They have either family pictures. They have things with them that are very special to them that they're taking into this new country. And the police sometimes take advantage of it. Yeah. And again, hearing the story, it's so funny. I'm going to quickly touch on this and we'll go back to <laughs> your story. Yeah, but um, there was, I was reading this book about a kid who came on La Tenda La Bestia. And I remember he was a Salvadorian kid and I was like, oh, I'm from Honduras. Right. And so I was like, super excited to read about him. And then I was telling my dad, I was like, oh my God, papi, like, this is such a cool book. I'm learning about this and that. And like, there's Hondureños in it. And I'm like, literally telling him the whole story. Right. And he's like laughing. He's like, yeah, I know. I came on that train. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was like 11. And I was like, what? You've never told me that. And again, it's like, oh, the stories are so powerful. Right. That you hear from your elders. That's, that's and so Latino, they just don't say anything. <laughs> they, don't, they don't. Exactly. They don't say anything. And it's, it's like, and that's what I'm trying to capture with this podcast. Like there's so many stories and it's a very, it is a very typical Latino thing to not talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Don't talk about the struggles. Don't talk about the pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's all about reputation. I was just talking about this, how like my family, your, I don't know if your family was the same way, but my family was very much like never talk about struggles with money. Just, you know, tell people we're fine, be happy. Like it was all about the outside image and reputation of just like, everything's cool. Yeah. (laughs) I know what you mean. And I still, it's so funny. I still carry that. Like I still see it where I'm like, I may be going through so much, but I'm like smiling. I'm like, Hey, what's up? You know? And I still catch myself in those moments where I'm like, Oh, this is definitely like learned behavior. Yeah, it definitely is. It's ingrained. It's hard to to, like forget those habits. It really is. Okay. Well, let's jump back into your story. I just wanted to kind of like talk about the way that immigrants come here to this country um, from Latino America, but want to talk more about you. And so you kind of grew up all over LA, right? Yeah. It's like Southern California. I think I lived in like LA, Southgate, Pomona, Riverside, Rancho, Ontario, Fontana, like West LA, South LA, like a lot. I've lived in a lot of different cities. Wow. How, how has that affected you? How has that like given you perspective or changed, you know, who you are? Cause I am, I've never really moved around that much, like growing up. Oh, it, it completely, so I'm kind of curious. It completely shaped who I am. Um, I, I'm not afraid at all being in a room or being in a city or being anywhere by myself. And I think that has to, yeah. a lot to do with the fact that like, I was always the new kid on the block. I was always a new kid in school. I was always like having to introduce myself. So from a young age, I became really comfortable and familiar with being uncomfortable and being like in the unknown, I guess. Mm. So, like, even now when like, for example, when I moved up to San Francisco, um, like six years ago and I, I didn't have anybody, I didn't have not one family member for hundreds of miles away. And I, I had like two friends. And I was like in San Francisco, a 22 year old, like fresh college grad, like mm-hmm. confused, you know, and, uh, I was still, wasn't really like scared. I was like, I found it exciting. Like it was just like my childhood all over again. Like, all right, time to be the new kid on the block, time to make friends, time to network, time to like do my thing, leave my mark. And I think that that comes from like always having to like move around. So 
again, another struggle, mm-hmm. right? You flip it into something positive and you learn something from it. Um, just like anything else in life. That sounds like it's been like a theme for you, right? Like flipping that narrative. Yeah, always. I mean, <laughs> you kind of have to live like that, you know, otherwise you mm-hmm. of all the little things that happen to you in life. Are you a, a first gen? Like, were you the first to go to college or? Yeah. My immediate family, my mom went to like, she got her associate's degree in uh, like furniture slash like design. Um, but she recently, okay. she recently got that like in the past, I don't know, five or 10 years. Um, but yeah, I'm the first. And then all my three younger sisters all went to college after me. So that's, that's good. Set the example, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have younger siblings. Yeah. So you're the oldest. Yeah. I'm the oldest. Oh my God. I don't know how it's like to be the oldest. I'm the youngest of seven. Oh, man. So, you guys, <laughs> so I'm like, you got, you got the nice parents, you know, <laughs> I, talk about- I got the nice parents. I know. I say, I say I got the worn out parents. They're like, all right, just whatever. <laughs> You're going to go out, fine, whatever. Just don't uh, have the car, get back in one piece. It's like, nah, they still, they still, I'm, so I'm home now. It's, it's funny because I haven't been home in so long and it's very different living at home as an adult, but you know, like I don't go out as much cause you know, quarantine, mm-hmm. but it's funny. It's so funny because they're still like that with me. Yeah. And I'm just like, you guys, like I have not lived here in so long. I'm an adult. I like had a taste for independence, but another side of me is like, you know what? Like I will always be La Nina in their eyes and I want to enjoy that too. Yeah. And like, be that too. <laughs> and while you're there too, like enjoy the time with them, you know, cause eventually you're going to be out on your own. You're going to get your own spot and you know, I'm not going to see them that, that frequently. So enjoy the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about like your Latinidad. Like, do you, I know you're a big advocate about for Latinos for, um, I don't, uh, do you rep your Mexican American culture very, like, I don't know so much about your Latinidad. So I kind of want to know a little bit more about, about how you rep your cultura. Yeah. I rep, I usually just like, because I work in tech and there are so few Latinos, I just rep like I'm Latino. And then people ask and I'm like, yeah, I'm Mexican, Mexican American. And my mom, my mom's side is from Veracruz. My dad's side is from Durango. And I just kind of mm. like Mexican American, you know. I'm I'm very proud. Like I I will rock like my my face mask for for uh, like COVID is like a Mexican themed, not a Mexican flag, but it's like a Mexican printed, you know, like a cl- classic um, indigenous printed theme mask, you know. So like I like to rock that. Mm. Very proud of like Latin. that's why I put Latino DJ. And a lot of people ask me like, what does that mean? Does that mean you play like Mexican music? Does that mean because you are Latino? And I usually tell people like, it's kind of both. I'm very proud that mm-hmm. I am a DJ who is Latino, but at every single set that I've ever done. And like, whenever I DJ in a nightclub and I DJ a party and I DJ a bar anywhere, I always play some Latin music. So it's Latin infused. Yes. So hip-hop, <laughs> I'm playing reggaeton. I'm doing EDM. I'm doing some like Latin house. I'm doing like, I don't know, like other type of music. I'll play some Spanish rocks and mana. So like, I, I always mix in that yes. Latin flavor no matter like where I go. Okay, so if I ever need a DJ, I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know who to go to. Exactly, hit me up. <laughs> How did you get into being a DJ? Uh, it was like my, curiosity. my senior year of, of high school. Uh, I was on the soccer team, and one of my best friends DJed all the quinceañeras in high school. He DJed all like the high school parties and like the dances and stuff. And I just thought it was cool. Like I thought it was cool that one person could control the vibe and whether hundreds of kids like had a good time. I thought it was like really, really cool how they control that ambiance, you know? And so I just asked him one day after soccer practice, like, yo, would you be down to like teach me? And 
that that's just pretty much how it started. Like I went after school, after soccer practice every day. He taught me how to like mix, how to scratch. And then I went to college and that's kind of where my, I made my like mark as a DJ. I just started DJing. Mm, three, all the parties? Every, <laughs> three or four times a week, you know, like on top of classes, on top of wow. and stuff. I just found it to be really, really fun to bring people together, especially in, I went to school in Merced. It's like a small town in California. Oh yeah. And, uh, there was nothing really to do there. So I brought the entertainment <laughs> to, to the school. I brought people together. I made people, I made the college experience fun for people basically. Cause otherwise they were like, people were depressed that they weren't in Santa Barbara or LA or Berkeley. Oh my God. I love that. I I've been in Merced once and I know it was, it was tiny. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing more cows and like a strip <laughs> and like, <laughs> but then ish the dj was there too <laughs> well okay so talk about so you went to college you went to merced and then now you work in tech so talk about that journey from merced to tech and being like a representation of latino in tech yeah. because i think the number is like what five six percent yeah it's like latinos are in tech it's just like three to three to six percent depending on the company but that's horrible. wow yeah. We have so many Latinos, especially here in California, and that representation is ridiculous. But um, yeah, from college to, to tech, I'll back up. So, like when I was at UC Merced, I did a ton. Like I got super involved. I had like multiple internships. I was like doing concerts for the school. I was like doing all this stuff. Extremely active clubs and organizations. So when I graduated, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it shouldn't be too hard to find a job. And my senior year got started. I started applying to tons of jobs, jobs that I thought I was qualified for. And I got like zero callbacks, like maybe a few callbacks. Mm. I didn't land any jobs. So I graduated, didn't have a job lined up, had to move in back, move back in with my parents and uh, put, put my pride aside, you know, and then I landed a job as an assistant manager at a gym out here, 24 hour fitness. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really too happy. Like, I felt like there was so much more that I could do, so much more I could offer. Um, and I've always wanted to work in tech or entertainment. Like I saw myself mm. influencing like masses of people through hosting concerts or like influencing masses of people through inter- the internet, social media, like Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. These are companies. Snapchat was my dream company when I was like 19. LinkedIn was my dream company when I turned 21. Um, mm. And so the way I got in is... A friend from college from my business fraternity, um, he was working at LinkedIn as a contractor. And what a contractor means is like you're working at the company, but you're not full time. You don't have full time benefits. You don't have a salary. You're on an hourly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're still kind of like work there, you know. And so I hit him up. Yeah. And he, he was like two or three months into the job. Um, I was like, Yo, Kev, like I need you to put me on. Like, there's this events role that just opened up. Like, put me on the phone with the hiring manager like crazy confidence. I don't even know where I got that confidence from, <laughs> you know? And he was like, damn, dude, it's kind of hot. I just started working here. I don't know, man. Like I'm still trying to put a name for myself first before I start referring people. Long story short, I ended up convincing him to put me on the phone with the hiring manager while he was like in the break room one day. And I tried it with mm. her and I just said like, look, I know I'm young. I know I don't have as much like post-grad experience as like other people, but I think I can make an impact on this team and with the work that you guys are trying to do. And then she was like, she's kind of shook, you know, she was impressed <laughs> that I was like, she's like, who's this kid? <laughs> yeah, who's this kid? And she's like, all right, you can come in for an interview. She's like, when can, when can you come in? I think I called on a Wednesday and I was like, I'll be there Thursday. 
She's like, wait, aren't you in LA? I told her like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in LA. She's like, it's 3 p.m. right now. You're not going to be here by tomorrow. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll get on the road by like five and I'll be there by midnight and uh, get some sleep, print out my resume and I'll be there tomorrow at eight. She's like, you're crazy. Wow. She's like, no, nah. like, it's okay. You can be here Friday and get some rest, get here safely. And your interview is at like 9 a.m. in Sunnyville or whatever. So I got there, uh, did like step stayed on my friend's couch and uh, interviewed the, the crazy thing is the morning of the interview, she gave me a call and she's like, hey, I should have some bad news. Before you come interview, I want to let you know that this, the job that we were going to give you, the events job, we just gave it to somebody who, who had interviewed like a, a few weeks ago and she has a master's mm. degree in event management. And she's like, has a, years of experience already. You know, she basically was like way more qualified than me. She's like, but mm-hmm. since you're already here, we have a recruiting coordinator role open. It's kind of like the same function, but different type of work. Like you're a lot more coordination and planning versus events is more like organizing like in-person events. So I was like, mm-hmm. whatever, like I just want to get in basically. Like this is my in, whatever opportunity, I'll take it. So I, I mm-hmm. interview for that recruiting coordinator job um, knowing that that's not my my specialty, you know? And I yeah. interview throughout all the interviews I talk about my event experience that I had done in college. And later on that afternoon, around 5 p.m., I got a call from her. And she said, hey, just wanted to update you on um, how things went for your interview today. And I was like, okay, like, how, how did it go? She's like, well, you completely flopped it. Like, you didn't, you just, you didn't do very well with any of the recruiting coordinator, like, stuff, the, the questions. Mm. She's like, but you showed so much, like, enthusiasm, experience, and excitement for events that we're going to open up another contract role for doing events for you and i i was wow. completely shocked like this is like <laughs> out of a movie you know like drive up overnight stay on your friend's couch print out your resume like do your pitch still get rejected and then still land a job <laughs> so that that's kind of how i i got into tech and i think that story is a little lengthy but it, it's worth sharing because it is so non-traditional the way you mm-hmm. people get jobs in tech, there's recruiters that their full-time job is to recruit people to work at the company. So they're online, find yeah. the best qualified people and they send them an email or they send them messages saying, hey, you'd be a great fit for the job. Want to come interview next week? Like that's the usually how it goes with these days. <laughs> and right. it's so polar opposite that it gives people hope that like, look, even though you don't come from a good school, even though you don't come from like, wealthy family you don't have a ton of networks like you can you can figure your way in you know um so that's right. how i got into tech and that's that's a little bit of my story i feel like it's it's really it's really cool listening to your story because you were so one confident and like the second thing is you you were willing to do whatever it takes to make that opportunity happen like drive down like sleep for a couple hours and make that interview and like I feel like that just shows your character, but also reminds me a lot of like Latinos yeah, in general. That's where we get it. Like we <laughs> we make it happen, you know, like we make it happen at all odds and we'll we'll bend over backwards mm. for the opportunity. Exactly. And I think that's what I was just listening. I was like, oh my God, he's so Latino. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I could definitely like my grandmas or aunts and uncles doing something like that in whatever field that they do too. You know, it's like taking the oh for sure from our culture and just bringing it into tech. Yeah. And I mean, those things are so innate too. Like they're so a part of us that I, I, 
I feel like I've just started really picking out like, oh, that's a very like Latino thing to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's just what we do. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like, yeah, but just hearing your story, I was like, oh my gosh, he is so Latino and you can tell it's so ingrained in you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just thinking of like my own dad, like he would like the same thing for a job. My dad would go to like Miami for two years because that's where the job was at. Or he'd go to LA and like drive down like every weekend because that's where the job was at. Like, literally bending over backwards for the opportunity. Exactly. Like another story, but my, something that I, I will never forget is my grandma from my mom's side, actually both grandmas, they have these, these both stories about how they got their houses mm. 30 or 40 years ago. They, they worked like jobs. Like my grandma from my dad's side worked a job, like knitting clothing basically for a warehouse or like blankets and like jeans and stuff like that. Um, and she said like when, when I saved up, my $9,000 for the down payment for my house. I had seven kids. I was a single mom and I had to work three mm. jobs and I did not sleep for like 30 or 40 days. And I was like, come on, you're exaggerating. You know, she's like, no, I did not sleep. She's like, I survived off of uh, Coca-Cola and, and coffee. She's like, I probably slept like one hour. Wow. Under, and she would like do her day job, which was like that warehouse job. And then she would go clean offices and then do like a third job just to pick up money wherever she could, you know? And she ended up obviously like saving the money and like getting the house and like feeding for her kids. But I was just like, th- like that story is also a part of my personality and, and my story too, of like how I was willing to like drive up overnight and not even sleep and like make it happen. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's one thing I love about immigrant culture, about Latinos And it, it's sometimes, I don't know if you deal with this too, but one thing that I always reflect on is like, sometimes I like be complaining about small things (laughs) and I'm just like, oh my God, like my mom was a single mom, same thing, seven kids. And she was like doing all these jobs, like five jobs, single mom, still like, you know, going home at night, cleaning and cooking and making sure her kids have food. Mm -hmm. Like Sometimes I like remind myself, not that I'm trying to compare or anything like that, but it just helps me be more grateful for the things that I do have. Yeah, you, you need but, to keep you grounded. You know, you're like, I can't complain. I have no right to complain. Yeah. No, right. But yeah, it's, it's so funny because again, these stories are so a part of us. And I think like what I've realized over time is like our identities are really a makeup of our experiences, of our ancestors, of our families. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like the learned behavior or the, the the things that the knowledge they've passed down or the stories they've passed down. It's so a part of who we are. Yeah, I agree 100%. So I want to skip to our cafecito and cheese in the portion cool. because I'm, I really want to hear about your book. Um, and I want to hear about all the things that you're up to now. And let me just say, like, I was reading a little bit about your why and why you created this book. And there was a couple of things that stood out to me, two things that you wrote. One was, I was driving down to see my sister in San Diego, shout out to San Diego, while simultaneously listening to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And it hit me. It's selfish of me not to share this with more people. Yeah. That one, what you wrote, I was like, oh my God. And the fact that you had not just that like epiphany, but you decided to do something about it. I was like... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we, yeah, like, like that. It's like a Latino guilt, you know, like you grow up with more privilege or you grow up with more access. And sometimes you're not really sure how 
how to give back. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like monetary. So you help your parents financially or you help them do like work around the house or like friends and family. But then like the, my epiphany was just like, holy shit, I'm, I have this opportunity to like learn and grow and work with these amazing people that are teaching me so much. And I've been privileged enough to like have the opportunity to listen to all of these books and documentaries and podcasts and research like studies. And like, I have all of this knowledge in my head that I'm able to access and use at any point in my life at any, like any day. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is it that like more of my friends and family don't have the opportunity to? And then I took two steps back and I was like, wait a minute. It's not necessarily a problem with them that they don't want to because like they obviously show the, the want to, to grow and like learn. So then what? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, maybe it's the industry because the industry is yeah. run by like white men from, a, from like mostly privileged backgrounds and wealthy backgrounds from great schools and great families. Some of the content doesn't really like hit home with, with like our culture, our people. So if you're reading a book mm-hmm. like Think and Grow Rich, like, yes, you're going to learn a lot, but some of the references there go way over my head even, you know, and I was born and raised here. So I can't even imagine like <laughs> my grandparents, how they would feel reading it. So that's kind of how like I came up with the audience for the book. I was like, nah, this, this book is going to be amazing. It's going to teach so much, but I'm going to write it mm-hmm. with, like my people in mind. And when I say my people, it's underrepresented groups. Whether that's like, Asian, Black, Hispanic, but like the people that aren't represented in these like industries, you know, especially the self-help industry, the self-development industry. Yeah. And that's so true because to be real, I'm not a huge fan of self-help books for that reason. Yeah. So when I, when I saw your reasoning, when I saw your why, I was like, oh, I need to read this book. Um, I know I'm like, I'm sad. I like didn't read it before this interview, but I'm like excited to hear more about, about your book and what and and just like your process of writing it and what it means for your audience. Because another thing that stood out in, when you were writing your why um, from that article was that your audience, you say, whether you're a 15-year-old kid from South Central LA or a professional deep in your career, this book will help you achieve your goals. I love that you, like what you just said, that your audience is underrepresented groups. Yeah. But even if a professional is like in their career, they're like, they can still learn so much. So I love that you made it so inclusive for, you know, people of all ages, because you're right. Our community has so much talent. Underrepresented groups have an amazing amount of talent. They just don't have the resources or the access or the representation for it. Yeah. And when I wrote it, I mean, I I come from a a marketing background. So I did like a, like a audience um, segmentation, like basically like, who are the top three audiences that this book is for? You know, like Tim Ferriss, mm. somebody who I look up to a lot. And he's like a huge, he wrote the four hour work week. It's like one of the best selling books in the world. It, it, if you haven't read it, read it. It's amazing. But he mm. talks about it very clearly. He's like, my audience is, I think he says 20 to 35 techies. And most of them are men. And he's done analysis on, mm. on it and everything. And he knows that that's his core audience. So when he picks content, it obviously serves mostly to, to those people. So before I even wrote the book, I thought it was important for me to like outline, okay, who are my core audiences? And and who would they be? If they were physically people, if they were people, who would they be? So I, I put out, I think it was three different audience personas. One, the first one was like hypothetical kid, 17-year-old kid from South mm-hmm. LA. He's doing good in school, 
but he's around gangs and violence every single day. Like he lives with a single mom. He um, has like a want and a need and a desire to like achieve more, but doesn't have the guidance. This book mm-hmm. is going to be the book to like teach him and put him in the right direction to show him what he needs to do in order to achieve his goals. And the second person was like, hypothetically, this is a 23 year old first gen Asian American college grad. Her family wants her to like become a doctor, but she's really passionate about arts or whatever. And mm-hmm. I'm going to help her like define what it is that she truly wants to do and how to achieve those goals. And then the third one was like, okay, this is the third one is a 33 year old or 35 year old black man lives, has a family, has a wife, has kids, has a good job, but doesn't really like what he does. Like has always been passionate about doing X, Y, Z, but never figured out how it is that he can, he can do that. Very passionate, very driven, but needs the resources. This book helps him achieve those fitness goals or whatever it is that he wants to do. You know, so by outlining and putting specific people and putting names to them, like these are all people in my life. These are, this could be my uncle, this could be my cousin, this could be my friend. Then I'm mm-hmm. able to like clearly outline, all right, well, the, the language for the book, the context for the book, the examples that I use in the book, like I, I can become a lot more relatable. And if I drop in like, uh, too short, or if I drop in Selena, or if I drop in like an example for, I end the book with the Nipsey Hustle. Mm-hmm. Like that makes the book more enjoyable or relatable while I'm teaching. Yeah. You know, it's like if you have a cool teacher in high school and they're like dropping mm-hmm. stuff that you know and the the language and stuff, but they're teaching you at the same time, you're gonna you're gonna like absorb it a lot more. And you're gonna retain it too. Like it it becomes that like thing, like this person gets me. And that's a perfect example of like the teacher having representation, like someone who knows you and like understands you. It's it's a different type of vibe when you're reading something that you can relate to. Mm-hmm. So I love that you did that. And one of my questions for you, if, for those that are listening who haven't heard of the book is called Get Ish Done, right? Well, the full is uh, How Successful People Get Ish Done. But if you want to just search it up like on Amazon and there's, you can read the first 30 pages or for free. If you're kind of like on the fence, you just type in Get Ish Done on Amazon. You can check it out or hit me up on social. Like I, I share a lot of tips from it or like, snippets and stuff too. Yeah. So for those listening who are like, yeah, I want to learn more about this book. Um, I am curious just out of my own curiosity, what is your, I know your goal of the book is to help people, you know, get ish done essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, but what is something that you hope that people can really take away from this book or like one or two pieces of knowledge that you can share with us right now? I, I hope that people read the book and they have the aha moment. We all, we all live with like, I want, I wish, I wish I could do this. I want to do this. And most people don't actually put it into action because either they don't have the tool, they don't have the resources, they don't have the motivation, they don't have the network, whatever it is. So I want this book to be the book for people when they read it, they're like, ah, I can start that business. I can lose that weight. I can get that job. I can get that promotion. I can start whatever, it, whatever it is, you know, that thing that people have always had in the back of their head, this book. I mean, I'm pretty sure if you read it, you'll be like, oh shit, it's very clear now. I know exactly what I need to do in the next five months in order to achieve it or whatever the time frame is. And I'll give a little bit of a yeah. bit too. So the first chapter and the or the first step in the seven step framework is something called self-concepts. So when, when a lot of people think of successful people, the first thing that comes to mind is like X person is so successful because they are so self-aware. Like that's a term that gets mm. very, very frequently. And when I was doing research 
for the, from these all these successful people, hundreds of people, I was like, okay, well, if self-awareness is a common theme, how does one become more self-aware? And I just dug, I went like dug really deep and I was like, okay, well, the definition behind self-awareness is to be able to look in the mirror and recognize oneself, to know who oneself is. So it's pretty mm -hmm. difficult to become more self-aware because essentially we're using the wrong term when we refer to these successful people. And I was like, all right, well, if I'm trying to help people become more self, whatever it is, what's the term that I use so that I can break down the definition and reverse engineer it? And it's a psychological term called self-concepts. Everybody has different self-concepts. Mm. What it means is like, there's three parts to it. Who is your past self? Who is your present self right now today? And who is your future self? So going for the first one, your past self is deeply analyzing who you are as a person, who is Ish, who was Ish for the past however many years you want to do. And you can break it out to segments. So I did this for my personal life too. And that's why I know so much about who I am, my ins and outs and everything. You can do like mm -hmm. zero to 10 years old. What were the biggest shaping moments of your life? What shaped you? What drove you? What were you excited about? Ask your parents, your grandparents, aunts and uncles, whoever. Ask them about you because you probably don't remember. And you'll find some commonalities mm -hmm. once you break down, okay, from 10 to 20 years old, do the same exercise. What did I love doing? Why did I do that sport? Why did I do that activity? Um, what were my favorite courses, my favorite classes, my favorite books, et cetera, all this stuff. And then break all of that down and just look at that data, look at that information and then do your current self. So currently, what, what am I passionate about? What am I currently involved in? What drives me? Where do I find creativity? What do I hate doing? Why do I hate doing it? All of that. Same exercise, but currently right now in this day and age. And then do future self. Where can I see myself in the future very happy? Whether that's starting a business and then, and then deconstruct that. Why do I want to start the business? Is it because I want to flex on Instagram? Is it because my friends are doing it? Mm -hmm. Is it because I genuinely love whatever it is that I want to sell or whatever business it is? And by doing that simple exercise, I mean, it's actually a complex exercise, but I guide people how to do it. Mm -hmm. You become quote unquote self-aware. You become more knowledgeable of yourself and you, you, mm -hmm. you're able to use all of that information in every other step of the book that I tell, that I teach. So like when you're, when you're coming up with your routine, your daily routine, you're able to think back and say like, oh, in the past six years, I've noticed that I've become, I've, I'm very creative between the hours of 10 and 2 p.m. So I should probably adjust my schedule if I can so that I can use that time, block it off for creativity, creative work. I've, I've noticed mm. after I work out in the morning, I'm a lot more, um, I don't know, like, more focused so i should probably schedule all of my like deep work during those hours i've noticed that i'm very passionate about helping people social media and marketing so any op potential opportunities that come up i should probably schedule those in or like start planting the seeds now those little things you know like i i know mm -hmm. for myself I, I noticed that i find a lot of creativity working in coffee shops where i don't know anybody and i'm sitting by myself mm -hmm. with headphones on like that is the perfect recipe for me to like come up with great ideas and do a lot of writing. I oh my god, are you struggling right now with no coffee shops? <laughs> I, I been like <laughs> craving to want to go to a coffee shop, but I've been like, like right now I'm looking out of a mirror right now and there's cars driving by and people driving by and I have my water, so like that's close, you know. But <laughs> I do miss being in like social settings by myself and just like people watching and like being able to focus and then like days away and then focus and then days away. So 
You don't see me, but I'm snapping because that's me too. Like coffee shops, something. I always talked about this. I even wrote a whole poem about this, (laughs) but I did. I love poetry. It's like one of my like little passion projects, but I, there's something about being in a coffee shop and like, like one of my, one of my things when I'm not working and like when I'm not doing podcast stuff is I love writing, like creative writing. So like that includes poetry, anything, anything that's creative, but I've always drawn inspiration from coffee shops because there's so much happening. There's so much going on. And it's like really people watching, like you don't know any of these people and you kind of create your own narrative of who they are, where, what, why they're there. <laughs> I don't know if you do that, but I'm like, Oh, I wonder if they're on the first date. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like some people are working. I wonder what they're working on. Like, okay, maybe that's good. Yeah. So yeah. But when you, now when, I lo- you, when you do read the book and you do the exercise, that'll be part of your like now. Right now you get creative. No, I'm really excited because I, like I said, I, I, I'm sad I didn't read the book before this interview, but I like am really motivated to read it now, just hearing everything that you said. And I even want to buy it in bulk and share it with like family and friends because I can't tell you how many times we've all talked about well, what do we want to do with our life? Yeah. And we have all these ideas and we have all these things that we like brainstorm that we could be doing. Like you were saying, we we want to do this or we wish we can do that. And I'm just like, I think it's just, we need the steps, the tactical steps, but also the motivation. Yeah. And so that's what it sounds like your book is. It's like a mix of both. And the cool thing is too, is like, I reference a lot of famous successful people that seem so far out of reach like Dwayne the Rock Johnson like Ryan Reynolds Kobe Bryant Oprah Winfrey Beyonce but in every single stage of the book I share my personal story too my struggles how I Mm. how I used each step my key learnings things I didn't know so like I I try to weave in like a level of relatability like I do on everything else that I do um so that the the reader can say like all right, well, I can't relate to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but I could still relate to like this guy, the author, you know, because he's like in his 20s, he's like from LA, he's like first-gen college student, like when Mexican-American, like that's more relatable mm-hmm. than like Kevin Hart. When it's like, holy shit, this guy's doing everything. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's super important. Again, that representation, I think, is just key. And the fact that you weave in multiple stories and also your own, I think that's like powerful. And including tactical steps. I'm like hella excited to read this book. <laughs> Can you post it too? Tag me. Yes. I'll, yes. Yes. I'll let you know how I like it. Um, so I know we're running out of time. I wish I could talk. I have so many more questions, but that might be for a later time. Yeah. But um, I want to I wanna end it well very quickly before we do our closing. How can people connect with you? Uh, online, all my social channels is Ish Verduzco. So I-S-H-B-E-R-D-U-Z-C-O. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not very difficult to find. I share a lot online. I share a lot of my personal, <laughs> I share a lot of stuff that I, that I've learned and, uh, yeah, I look forward to connecting. If y'all have questions, reach out. And if y'all enjoy the book, let me know too. Let me know like what sections in particular, this is the first of a few books that I plan on writing. So like that constant feedback loop is helpful mm. to understand like, what did y'all like? Why did you guys like it? Um, and how I could improve moving forward. Love it. Again, I'm excited to read it. I, again, I really am thinking of all these people I want to like send it to, gift it to. Yeah, I will. I will. Um, okay. So let's do our closing. Um, the way I like closing these episodes is with a uh, virtual brindis. So I don't know if you brought anything. I like usually do my cafe, my cafecito. 
which is not what Breen Bees is, but <laughs> <laughs> I do have water now because it's a little late and I've had too much coffee this morning. But um, let's close with the virtual cheers. And what we do in this section is really like try to manifest some good for our Latino community. So I'll give you a chance to say what we're going to cheers to and what you want to manifest. I would love to cheers to not just the Latinos, but all people of color right now in the United States in particular that are going through really, really tough times. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to manifest health, good health um, opportunities. I want to manifest inspiration, um, motivation, excitement, passion, because I feel like right now is a time where, especially people of color, we need it. You know, the black community is going through a lot. The, the Latino community mm-hmm. is going through a lot as well. Um, so I'm sending everybody that's listening great vibes and, uh, if there's mm-hmm. that I can do in particular to help out, y'all just reach out and, uh, cheers. And cheers. Salud. Muchisimas gracias for tuning into today's episode with Ish Rodusco. Make sure y'all connect with him. His content is dope, real, and relatable and check out his book too, How Successful People Get Ish Done. So some of y'all may have seen videos, pictures, read stories about what's happening with our farm workers, our campesinos, the folks who feed us, are working through a pandemic, near fires, and in heat waves. I know there are a ton of organizers out there, but in case you're looking for another way to help, visit dreamersroadmap.org um, and they'll give you more information on how to get involved. Remember to tune in next week for more Cafecito and Chisme and more Hello Latino Love. Follow me on Twitter at Odalis Jasmine, Instagram at Ojasmine with four A's, and find me on LinkedIn. Con mucho amor, conmigo Andreña.